Thank you, guys. <clears throat> Friends, we are indeed in Acts chapter 18 as we continue to march through this important book. And really, because of our passage and really because it's Pentecost Sunday and really because we just ordained officers to help us grow in Christ and really because we're about to start a summer Bible study with an emphasis on spiritual friendship, as we come to this passage this morning, I want us to see just how many people like how many human beings are packed into these 11 verses? As I read, just witness how many folks are here because even in a room this size, we know that all of us are on different places of our spiritual journey. Some of you have shared with me, I haven't started a spiritual journey. I don't know what it means to be a believer and I'm still trying to figure out what that is. Praise God that you're here. Some of us are newly baptized believers. You have been baptized this year and you're starting the journey of faith. Some of y'all have been at it this for a long, long time. Watch those in our passage before Christ, new in Christ, old in Christ, begin to rub shoulders one with another. So I'm gonna read for us from Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centria, he cut his hair for he was under a vow and then he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay longer period, he declined, but on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail for Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then he went down to Antioch, and after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he had wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, by the spirit who fell upon your church at Pentecost, would you move in our body to draw us upward to you and across the aisle one to another as we grow friendships among this body that will point to Jesus. We ask this boldly in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, we've talked about what it means to be the church, what it means to be Columbia Presbyterian Church at this day and at this time. And we have said that our mission is to be disciple-making disciples in a church-planting church. And so there's kind of a life verse that we have as a church, which I would think is about the life verse that Paul had for himself and for his ministry in Colossians 1.28, which says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. In there just this luscious ring to that phrase, being presented mature in Christ. 
Who in this room does not long to be mature in Jesus? And who in this room could not but anticipate what it must feel like to be presented face to face with Jesus? And if we have a pulse, and if we have that desire for ourselves, who among us would not also want to bring our friends with us as we desire to present and be presented mature in Christ? That's our vision, that's our longing, that's the great commission marching orders of the church. We've taken that banner, and humbly, by God's spirit, we long to do that in this place. But it's going to take a village. It's going to take a church. It's going to take a body to do this together. And that's what Trevor so beautifully emphasized last week from John chapter 1, that as we're exposed to this Christ of light and life, we can't help but grab others around them and bring them with us. So our passage is going to piggyback on that same theme as we pray that this will be a summer of spiritual friendships in this body, and in this city. The vision of our passage this morning is this. A life populated by people presenting and being presented to Christ. We are seeing a life populated by people presenting and being presented to Christ. So let's think about the first point of that. A life that is populated by people. I love when Trevor mentioned last week, and he joked that it's just, it's way easier for kids to make friends than it is for adults. It's just hard somewhere along the line, about the time we lost the ability to create and imagine, we also lost the ability to make new friendships, and it's just hard as adults to make friends. I remember when we could just like release our kids on the playground and they'd come back five minutes later and say, I met Billy, he's my best friend, he was born in August and he weighs 40 pounds. I'm like, you got that in five minutes? I've known people for decades and I don't know how much they weigh. That's incredible. (laughs) But it's just easy for kids to do that. I was speaking to college students this week on evangelism and why it's so critical to evangelize in college and I made the depressing point that made me depressed that look around in college because these are the most friendships you will ever have. You will be on a road of loneliness after college. You just reduce your friendships. I know. People are like looking into their coffee, depressed. I know. It's hard. Uh, But I saw a great meme about it, which uh, was talking about Jesus. And they said, you know, for all the amazing things that Jesus did, turning water into wine and feeding the 5,000, nobody talks about the miracle of Jesus having 12 friends at the age of 30. Like that's a... That's the miracle that happens in the Gospels, and it's incredible. Well, friendships are complicated. They're hard. And once we become adults, and especially when we move to a new city, and we get a new job, and we're in a new church, we're already worn out, and it's hard to make those connections. And so I want us all to just take a deep breath and say, this is going to be hard. And God is with us and for us to do this. But building a community that's going to point us to Christ, that's a spiritual habit. 
And just like many of us have beaten our heads against a Bible reading plan or a habit of prayer, so also may there be grace to begin to build this third habit into our life of spiritual friendships that are gonna point us to Jesus. These are all gifts that God has given us, but they are going to be gifts we receive slow and steady, embracing and learning together. Our passage is the fruit of this slow and steady work, this intentional life. These are lives in our passage that are populated by people. I mean, there are a ton of people. You just saw packed into these 11 verses. Verse 18, it says that Paul stayed many days with the brothers. Then verse 18, he traveled with Priscilla and Aquila. Then 19 and 20, he was with the Jews in Centuria. Then 22, he was with the church in Caesarea and Jerusalem. 22, the church in Antioch. 23, the churches in Galatia and Phrygia. And then Paul drops out, and 24, it's Priscilla and Aquila. And they're coming alongside Apollos. And 27, it's the Ephesian believers that are helping Apollos. And then verse 28, it's Apollos who turns around and helps the believers who are in Achaia. That's amazing. There are people at every turn pointing and being pointed to Christ. And you can just read these passages and it's like the believers here just blend into the landscape of the New Testament. It reminds me when you read some of Paul's letters, and this was hard for me to realize as a new believer, take a letter like Romans where you get 15 chapters of just absolute meat on the bone theology. It's good, it's rich, it's incredible. And then instead of like this rhetorical flourish at the end, more theology, Paul spends the entire last chapter of the inspired word of God saying what's up to different people in his life. Say hey to this person, say hey to that person, I really miss this guy, tell this couple that I'm gonna come and stay with them. And as a new believer, I had no category for that, so you just kind of skim along, and it's like, okay, 1 Corinthians, starting the next theological meet, until I realize the Bible is showing us something. This is a life populated by people. And here they are in our passage, men and women, Jews and Gentiles, North Africans, Asians, Europeans, Middle Easterners, international business people, tent makers, leather workers, servants, slaves, rich and poor, young and old, here they are under the banner of Christ, pushing and being pushed into their relationship with the Lord. It's like heaven. The nations gathered under the banner of Christ to worship God, this passage feels like heaven. Now, Christian, I want you to imagine your life in this biblical way. What does it look like to move from where I am more and more to a life that is populated by people? Now, I'm an introvert, so I share this reservation with half of you in this room that the phrase, a life populated by people, is not my idea of a good time, right? In fact, it feels a little bit like purgatory. It feels like a never-ending coffee fellowship hour of small talk that I can't get out of or escape. 
But of course, God has designed us each for our own capacity. Some of us have a big tank for people. Some of us have a small tank for people. But no living, breathing, spirit-filled person has no tank for people because by God's design, we begin to interact one with another. I have benefited so much from watching the church do this. I don't think I do this super well, but I watch believers do this well and it inspires me and gives me a new imagination for how to do this. I'm always amazed when a new person walks into this fellowship and they throw themselves into relationships. So they're showing up right away at growth groups and events and they're shaking hands because they have an excuse not to do that. They're new here so they could wait for anybody else to approach them because they've been here longer than I have but they're very intentional about building new friendships and relationships and they don't waste time to do that. I'm always amazed by the long-term believers in our body who just have a habit of hospitality. They just know it's in their food budget, it's on their calendar, they're just gonna have different kinds of people in their home, not just their friends, but different people they've met, married and singles and old and young. They're going to mix it up and have folks in their home. That's amazing because I know so many of us are afraid to do that. We're afraid of hospitality. We've all given a million excuses for why we don't do it. My house is too small. I can't afford dinner. I can't cook. I have a job that I have to work late for. So I just don't have people in my home. I'm glad you're worried about that because whenever you invite Julie and I to your house, we actually spend the ride home judging you in our hearts. Like we debrief it and say, I can't believe they didn't fold their laundry and I can't believe they served us Chinese takeout who these people think they are. No, we're thrilled when a believer invites you into the home and says, tell me about your walk with Jesus. What is sweeter? What is more heavenly than that fellowship? One believer to another and I'm learning and watching from the church. How do I as an introvert get outside my shell, stop protecting my house and begin to build these relationships one with another. These are lives in the book of Acts filling, filling, filling with people and it's beautiful to behold. So the first point is a life populated by people but the second point is a life populated by people presenting and being presented to Christ. If we only have a life populated by people, there is nothing distinctly Christian or Christward or supernatural about it. Plenty of extroverts have a life populated by people. I remember years ago, decades ago, that I got my first flip phone. And I was heady and excited, and I had a few friends that I plugged in, and I challenged a buddy of mine, let's see who has more contacts in their phone, okay? We're gonna count our contacts and see who has more. And he had as many A's as I had in my entire phone, and I've never challenged a person since. He just had a ton of friendships in his phone. But of course, the point is not how many people we know, it's what we're doing with the few that we do know. Lord, give me three friendships that mutually point me towards Jesus to strive for his kingdom, then 300 relationships that I piddle away on this earth talking about the weather and my 401k. 
Give me brothers and sisters who propel me to look like Jesus. That's what I need. That's what you need. That's what we get busy doing. So as you have time today or this week, I challenge you to work back through these 11 verses and look at the verbs in our passage. It's not just the nouns, the people, it's the verbs. Now that I have the people, what am I doing with these people? And it's amazing to see how multifaceted the ministry of the church is to itself from the verbs in our passage. I'm gonna just read a bunch of them, but the real magic comes when you sit down and pour over this passage and study them for yourselves. So in the time they're spending together, I see believers evangelizing, greeting, fellowshipping, spending time together, strengthening, explaining, and correcting, encouraging, welcoming, and greatly helping each other. It's not just knowing a bunch of people, it's getting busy pushing people to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon once described his church as a beehive of activity, and that's what these two paragraphs feel like. They feel like a beehive of activity, this early international church right here, buzzing from person to person, helping each other in Christ. But there's a problem. This is going to be harder than it sounds and harder than it looks because what is actually happening here doesn't come naturally for anybody. In fact, it's impossible for us to do and it's incredibly embarrassing for us to talk about. For the church to help each other that's going to require believers in our body actually saying to themselves and to others, I need help. Like, I'm not there, and I need someone to help me. We can't get busy helping each other unless individuals are willing to go first and say, I myself need help. Do you see how that's implicit in our passage? You have a bunch of examples of that. Look at verse 23. Paul works his way through Galatia and Phrygia, and it says, quote, strengthening all the disciples. Paul can only strengthen disciples who know that they're weak. So those disciples already know when Paul shows up, I have not arrived, I am not there, I feel weak in my faith, and that vulnerability on behalf of those believers then invites the ministry of Paul to come and strengthen those who feel weak. Look at verse 24. Same thing happens with Priscilla and Aquila. They gently and privately pull aside that great and powerful teacher, Apollos, and explain the Bible to him. Now, this is a true miracle because you get a man who can talk and you get a man who can preach and then Priscilla and Aquila, which we think the wife kind of did the leading she's mentioned first, this couple gently pulls aside a great pre preacher and says, you know most of your Bible, but you don't know all your Bible and let us show you something. It is a miracle for a gifted preacher to shut his mouth and hear from believers in his congregation, this is the way of God more accurately. Apollos doesn't get help unless he knows, I don't know all there is to know about the Bible. 
And then it happens in verse 27. He's able then, because he's been helped, to show up in Achaia, and it says, quote, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. There's something about people who through grace had believed already started their relationship with God in grace, and they know it will continue by grace, and that grace will show up in the Holy Spirit, and that grace will show up in men like Apollos coming to help us, to teach us, to instruct us. I know we say that hurt people hurt people. And that's true, and that's traumatic. But on this day of Pentecost, I want us to see that helped people help people. Like I get somebody paying attention to my spiritual life and asking me questions about my spiritual habits and my struggles and where I am in my relationship with the Lord, and I can't help but turn around and share that with another person because I have been blessed by that and I want them to be blessed by that as well. But for that to happen, this is going to have to be a vulnerable, honest body of Christ. We cannot come into this place acting like we have it figured out, acting like we don't have besetting sins in our hearts, acting like we already know what there is to know, somebody's gonna have to go first and say, I haven't arrived, I'm not there yet. So we're actually gonna practice this morning as a church body, okay? I want you to repeat after me so that we just kind of get in the habit of vulnerability. So repeat after me. I need help. I have not arrived. I am not perfect. I am hiding sin right now. I don't know my Bible like I should. I don't pray as I ought. My marriage needs help. My parenting needs help. My friendships need help. I have a long way to grow. See y'all? That wasn't so bad. I think the parenting one was the loudest, but that wasn't so bad, you know? That we can begin to say this to each other and we can begin to work with the presumption I don't have time to show up here on Sunday morning and grab a cup of coffee and ask somebody about the NBA finals because I see someone standing alone and I don't know where they are on their journey towards Jesus and I got a job to do and if no one else is going to do it, I will go first. This is what it means to be the body of Christ. The normal Christian experience is to connect with each other and to propel each other towards Jesus. If we're acting like we've already arrived and don't need help and don't need other people to read the Bible with, then we are trying to do something that isn't in the New Testament and we are doing our own experiment that none of us else recognize and I don't think that's going to go very well. So here's my challenge. What if each of us took some time today among ourselves, our spouses, our roommates, our families, what does it look like for me to take baby steps towards the normal Christian life? 
There's kind of three categories here to think about. The first is a life populated by people. Maybe that's kind of where I need to grow is populating my life with other people. Is that spending this summer looking for new relationships to build, new people to greet, new people to recognize or say hello to? Does that mean showing hospitality to another person or being intentional when it means coming into these spaces and greeting other folks? What does it look like? What are baby steps for me to grow relationships with others? Or secondly, is this presenting other people in Christ? Is this owning my responsibility to help propel other people towards Jesus? When I'm in a conversation with my friends, could I be the one that turns the conversation to spiritual things? We can talk about all kinds of things, but will there be moments in my conversations where I'll be the one to go first and I'll say, what does your relationship with the Lord look like? How's your marriage? How's your friendship? What's your fight with sin look like? What's your Bible reading plan? Because I don't have one yet and I want to know what you're doing. Would I be the person in those relationships to move others towards Christ? Would I be the person in those relationships to be the first person to pray in that circle to ask God to help us? Or number three, is it being presented in Christ? Am I the one who is being vulnerable in my community? Am I the one that is saying, I actually need help to do these things. I'm looking for opportunities and relationships and small groups where I myself will grow in Christ. Whichever of those we need most to grow in in this moment, be assured God is in this. His spirit is in this. He has designed you for this and he has designed the church for this and we are going to do this together. That's why Paul writes to this same city in Ephesus, and I'll close with this, years later, that when she's doing what she is supposed to be doing, it's not that each of us will become the best Christian we will be. Like we'll be out there as spiritual free agents, fully developed on our own. That's not the language Paul gives to what's happening here. He says rather in Ephesians 4.16, when the body is doing this and when each joint is working properly, the whole body grows up together under the head who is Christ himself. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we need you. We need you to grow us and develop us. We need you to give us courage to build new relationships and friendships. We need you to help us propel and point each other towards you and to be vulnerable to be propelled and pointed towards you. I pray you would make us not just a church who is a family, but a church who are friends, giving and being spent one for another so that we might grow in our relationship with you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.